This is the Mile High Five podcast with Carl Jensen and Doug Cunnington. We have authentic conversations about the journey to Phi, health, happiness, and some very odd tangents. We interview Phi experts, side hustlers, people on their way to Phi, and those who have reached the other side. Join us every week, and if you want the show notes and links and all that other stuff, head over to milehighfi.com. Welcome to the Mile High Five Podcast. My name is Carl Jensen, and I'm here with my co-host. I'm Doug Cunnington. And we have a very special guest today. Tell us who you are and what you do, please. Yeah, I am Jessica from the Pioneers, and I tell people that I am a full-time human being and a part-time writer and coach. Um, And I'm a co-founder of the Pioneers blog, and I spend lots of time Soon, I will be spending lots of time road tripping in my camper van and perfecting my sourdough pizza crust. Oh, my God. We're going to circle back to both of those because I'm really interested about the camper van trip, and I love sourdough. Oh, my God. Every time I go to San Francisco, I hit up that like tourist trap, but the bread tastes good. But we'll talk about both those things a little bit later, perhaps. I'd like to open up with how you found fire. And I understand that both of you were not on the same page. So what did you Mm -hmm. find fire and what happened? Yeah. So my husband actually was very into fire, um, sort of from the beginning. So he was actually a financial blogger starting in about 20, 2010, 2011. And so he knew the early days of Mr. Money Mustache and like the early days of uh, retire the 1500 days um, blogs, but he didn't, he didn't necessarily feel like it was for us, but took all of the lessons. And so every year in December on the dot, we would sit down with a with the spreadsheet and he would say let's just save five percent more like maybe then we can retire by you know 55 or 50 or whatever and at the time i was in a place where i was like we're just making money for the first time in our lives i want to do stuff like i want to take the trip i want to actually live in a place that has a washer and dryer i want to go out to dinner every once in a while right and so i was more in the saving mode um, at that time and it took a good three or four years for him to change his approach and focus more on the lifestyle piece, right? What's the lifestyle that that I would want to have rather than the numbers? Um, and then once once we started talking about that lifestyle, I, I was in. That's so interesting. When he first told you about fire, hey, I found Mr. Money Mustache on the internet. Were you like, what the hell are you talking about? Or... You just weren't into the numbers part of it. I wasn't really into the numbers part of it. So like I, yeah. So, so I think the sort of key background for us is that we both worked in nonprofit organizations. One of my first jobs was doing AmeriCorps and I made $11,000 in the year So when we were starting to get into personal finances in our early 20s, it was out of necessity, right? Because we needed to make ends meet. We were living in northern New Jersey, right outside New York City, and living on, you know, less than $30,000 a year. And we really needed to, we we had a commitment that that we like weren't going to go into debt, which I really appreciate. I'm glad that we had that from, from the very beginning. And so I was still in that scarcity mode of like, I just need to make ends meet, right? And I now make a little bit more money and I want to inflate my lifestyle so that things feel a little bit less hard. And so when he brought that idea and started talking about like, well, what about retiring early and, you know, all of these other things, I just wanted to focus on my life right now. Yeah. And that's a huge jump from... Only washing, only wanting a washer and dryer to, hey, we're going to retire early and all that. I mean, that's a big, big, big jump. But I want to circle back to something you said that's critically important. So when Corey first came to you, he tried to sell to you from a numbers perspective, or maybe we can retire early. But then what really worked was showing you what your life could be like. And I think that's so important because I think that's the proper way to sell 
fire to anyone. It's not really about the money. It's about what you really want out of life. So I, I used to be like Corey too, like ah, numbers, numbers, numbers. We need to, to get to this amount, but the proper way to do it, I think, and, and tell me if you think this is right, Jessica, is to say like, what do you really want out of life? What's, what would make you really happy? What place would you want to be in, in 20 years? And I don't think most people are going to spout out a bunch of material stuff or I want like a, a mini mansion. They're going to say, well, I'd like to maybe sit on the beach in Portugal or, or live in a camper van and see the world. And when you think about it that way, you need money to do this, but it's not really so much about money. It's building the life that you really want to build. And then you work backwards. Okay. How do we get there? We need this amount of money, but it's not that great. And we could certainly do that in a couple decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I and I think there was a paradigm shift that happened for me because I didn't realize that there was anything different. And I had just sort of set aside all of my dreams and goals and said, like, I don't think any of these are actually possible because we needed to make ends meet. And so we needed to make more money. And so that was the focus over the course of our, our 20s. And Right. And so then when I was when I was introduced to financial independence, I felt like this whole world opened up that it was like, oh, I can actually do those things. Um, Those things are actually possible. And so that was really inspiring for me Um, and, and sort of got me to a place that I was like, okay, I get it now. And did you guys have anyone in your life, any friends or family members that had a similar approach or retired earlier, anything like that? Or was it all sort of from afar via blogs and the internet and such? It was all from afar um, at the beginning. Now we have some people in our real life who we've met through the financial independence space, um, but we had never seen that or experienced that um, from anyone in, in our lives previously. Got it. And then, you know, you were talking about the first few years where you weren't quite on board. How, how did that, how did that go just in, in general? And then was the shift pretty abrupt or did that also take like another few years for Corey's approach to, to change a little bit? And then you were like, oh, I get it now. Mm, yeah. So it's interesting because now I like cringe as a feminist to say this, but like I did not want to be involved in the finances for the first like six, seven years that that we were married. And that is a cringe worthy thing for me now yeah. to, to say. But I think that in in his mind, right, he was like, oh, well, we're making more money now, right? We're we're starting and and we had such a modest lifestyle at the time. That in his mind, he knew, well, we can save 5% more and still spend this money to do the things that I, that I was saying that I wanted to do, right? To go on vacation, to get an apartment that had a washer and dryer, to go out to dinner every once in a while, right? Like those things don't cost all that much, right? So in, in his mind, he's like, okay, great. Well, we can do both. Um, right. So kind of appeasing what I wanted and also just like squirreling away the, the funds at the same time. Um, and so I feel really lucky that when I did learn about financial independence and got to a space where I was ready to say, okay, yeah, I'm into this. Let's do this. Like, this is cool that we had already been on the path for a few years. Right. And so with, you know, I knew what was happening, right. That we were saving 25% of our income and then 33% of our income and then 40% of our income. Right. So continuing to save a little bit more each year. But when I actually got on board is when it felt like things like supercharged. Right. And so once I was on board, it was like we hit the 50% savings rate, 60% savings rate, right? Like getting to that place where it was like we were on the same team finally and we weren't working against each other, right? And so we were already on the path, but we were able to 
supercharge it once we were both on the same page. Can you talk about the specific components that that shifted? Was it um, some extra spending and uh, other things that you really didn't notice? And then once you were on the same team, you were like, okay, like now we can focus. So if, if you can be spe- specific about a couple of those. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So interestingly enough, it was more about spending at the time. Um, and so... And actually, around the time that we started pursuing FI, I had a mental health crisis and actually needed to take about six months off of work. So which was part of the motivation of like, oh, I really want to do this, make this big change, right? Um, And so I did, I actually lost a pretty significant portion of income. Um, During that time, I was paid about 60% on a disability insurance. But somehow we were saving at a higher rate Right. And part of it was because we were no longer like miserable, exhausted, like spending for convenience and escape. Right. And so we ended up finding that we were spending a thousand to fifteen hundred dollars less on groceries, on takeout, right, On, on eating out, on travel. Um, and it was all sort of that the mindset shift, partially mindset shift of like, I now have time that I can do the research to like get the deals and that kind of thing. And it wasn't a like, well, I deserve this because I work so hard, right? Um, or that I need this convenient spending to like make my life feel more bearable. Um, and so part of it was like intentional choice of we want to spend less. And part of it was like, oh, wow, we didn't realize that these were, you know, this stressful, toxic job was the thing that was causing and triggering a lot of that spending in the first place. Cool. Well, believe it or not, that was the introduction. Uh, Let's get into the meat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's good. I like it. Uh, let's get into the meat of the subject matter. And this one is near and dear to my heart because I had a guest post on the Pioneers, your blog. And the guest post was about how I don't think I did FI correctly when I discovered Mr. Money Mustache. I'm like, I have to get to this as soon as possible. So I, I just dropped whatever we were doing. We sold our nice house, bought this really crappy one. It just worked on it for years. And we had two small children. So I kind of had like... Two and a half full-time jobs. One was my actual job that earned me money. Another one was working on this house. And uh, half job was my kids. And I remember waking up like at 4.30 in the morning to try to get some work done because they get up super early. I don't know why, but they're up at 5.30 or 6. And it's probably working 80 to 100 hours a week for uh, many years of my life. And I realized in retrospect, and this was about what the blog post was about, how toxic that was. I was running to this point that I thought was going to make me happy. And you get there and it's like, ah, you know, life actually is better. I don't want to throw it all under the bus. I got rid of the toxic, the toxic job that caused me stress. And it was that to- that toxic. It was just stressful. And a lot of that was stuff I built up in my own mind. I don't want to throw my job under the bus, but I wasn't really any happier. I'm like, man, I should have, I should have done this a lot different. And that's what the fine ears is about. And that's what our conversation is going to be about. I want to read the synopsis that you wrote, Jessica. Um, And it says, I've been talking, thinking, and writing a lot about how people can use the financial freedom they're building along the way to FI to design a life they don't want to retire from. Many times building this life requires building a foundation of financial freedom. If you have money for sure, perhaps even watching uh, Coast FI, But there are so many people now who are transitioning to a life that's a lot closer to their FI lifestyle much earlier than reaching FI. Uh, Can you elaborate on this a little bit more? Sure, absolutely. So one thing that I learned pretty early on, um, and part of it was through hearing from people who had already reached financial independence and were starting to urge us to do things differently. So such as yourself with your, I remember your article that you wrote about feeling like you had taken a death march 
Optify and had heard J.D. Roth do an interview on Afford Anything uh, around the time that I heard about financial independence saying like money doesn't fix your problems, right? It takes away some of the external circumstances, but then you still have to like deal with all of those things. Um, And so I started to think about, okay, so what's, what could a different approach look like? And how could I use the financial freedom that I'm gaining along the path to FI to live a better life, right? Because I'm not, I wasn't willing to work in my toxic job, right? That, that was causing the mental health challenges for another 10 years, just so that I would, could be financially independent at that point. That didn't feel worth it. Um, and so I started exploring other financial freedom concepts, right? And so when I when I realized that I needed to take some time off from work, I learned about FU money, right? And I learned like, okay, when you have a pot of money that's sort of liquid, whether it be your emergency fund or, you know, somewhere else that's easily accessible, you can then use that to make decisions about your life today to improve your circumstances. And so, and this, what that was the first time that I looked at money in that way, right? Rather than just this some far off monopoly money that can benefit me 10, 15 years from now, right? I was looking at it and saying, what can my money do for me today? Um, and I realized, okay, I don't need to stay in this toxic job. I could completely quit if I wanted to. I didn't need to at the time, right? And then you know, over that six months, really everything changed for me um, and decided that I wasn't any longer going to be pursuing a traditional career path of climbing the corporate ladder, that that just wasn't going to work for me. Um, And so when I went back to work, then I eventually thought, okay, I'll probably, I'll go back to work part-time and then I'll probably increase my hours after that. Um, But then it was around that time, right? So it was about a year later that I learned about coast financial independence, um, which is the idea that you've gotten to a place where what you've already invested will grow to provide you with a comfortable traditional retirement and you don't need to add anything else to it, right? And so for me, real, I realized I was at that place and realized, oh, I don't need to increase my hours, I could stay part-time, right? For forever if I wanted to, because all, once you reach Coast Buy, all you need to do is actually cover your actual costs, which can can give you a lot of freedom and a lot of flexibility along the path to Buy, right? And, And we didn't take a full Coast Buy approach, right? There's certainly people who do and scale back to only cover their actual costs. I think we use that as a feeling of freedom, to say, okay, this means we can start to scale back and focus on optimizing for our quality of life more so than optimizing for the finances necessarily. Um, So those are, yeah. So those are some, some, some ways you can design your life along the way. Okay. So I'm curious, I want to delve into this a little bit more. It seems like maybe at the foundation you're talking about, a renegotiation of your relationship with your job. And I think about this with my parents' generation. They would It was pretty common for people to work at the same job for maybe decades on end. And you work up your way to an extra week of vacation and you do that for four decades and then eventually you move to Florida and, and then you die. And it seems now things are kind of changing maybe as a result of the pandemic, but I, I think it's more of a gig economy now but would you say at the at the base, um, I guess I'm trying to figure out where I'm going here, but yeah, it seems like we have looser relationships with our job. We've kind of decoupled, many of us have decoupled ourselves with our jobs and that sets the foundation for being able to do this. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I definitely agree with that. I think that was during my six months off part of that process was decoupling my identity from my work and realizing that i ha- i was so many other things 
right? Besides a like HR professional who was climbing the corporate ladder, right? Like that was not my core identity. That's not who I wanted to be. Having that as my core identity was making me miserable. Um, And so realizing that there's so many other things in my life that I wanted to be more of my identity than my work was really important for me to make that shift. Ooh, that's such an interesting point too, because I think this is probably more of an issue in America than other other places, but yeah, we wrap our identities in our work and where do you want to be in five years? I want to be in middle management or I want to be in a software architect or, mm-hmm. or whatever. And it's, yeah, I think that's pretty toxic because we're, yeah, we have a lot more stuff going on than that, but for many of us, that's what we wrap ourselves into. And you said you were in HR. Mm-hmm. So, in I've never worked in HR. So, in that, I guess I'll just call it industry. It's not the right word to use, but do people really identify as like, hey, I'm an HR person? Uh, like, you know, a lot of engineers will, will say that they're like, oh, I'm an engineer or I'm a consultant or whatever. So in HR, is that really tied in with like everyone you're around all the time? I think it depends on the person, but I sort of think every job is like that in a way for, for many people until they have this like awakening. Yeah. But I definitely found myself surrounded by people who supported that identity, right? And who saw me as that. I think, um, <laughs> well, it was, a, it was a weird question. Basically, what I'm getting at and the root of the question is like, if you're around whatever the profession is, everyone's sort of reinforcing that idea. But once you start hanging mm-hmm. around with like people that have a, a different idea about it, then it's very easy. Like we're all thinking if someone asks us, Hey, what do you do? We're probably going to give some answer like, uh, I, I like to hike and uh, spend time with my family, not I'm a software engineer. Like I probably would never answer anything like sort of like a normal job anymore. So that's what I was getting. I'm not sure. Any other thoughts on that? Yeah. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And I definitely, it's so interesting to still like be in spaces where people are so focused on their careers and their identity is wrapped up in it, um, that I will often answer those questions differently, similar to what you were saying. And people look at me like I have like two heads and they're like, wait, what? Uh, or like, they just like, they just don't get it. Um, but sometimes I'll play a game that's like, I will I will go through this entire event and I will not ask a single question about what someone does for a living. Like I will ask them all the questions of like, what do you love to do in your free time, um, right? Or things like that to get that, because that stuff is much more interesting anyways. Yeah, Most definitely. Um, One thing that you talked about was FU money. So can you describe how you define it and maybe some broader definitions that you have seen out there in the wild? Sure. So FU money, I would say, is the amount of money that someone feels like they need to be able to get themselves out of a toxic situation or to take advantage of an opportunity. The amount of money will be different for different people depending on their level of risk tolerance. So I would say at a minimum, it would be a three to six month emergency fund. Um, But for some people, they might feel like they need one year or two years um, depending on who is relying on them, how easy it would be for them to find a new job or generate additional income um, that they, they might want that amount to be higher. Cause I think of FU money as both a number and a feeling. And if we don't feel like we can use it, it's not FU money. Yeah. I'm curious. I want to, uh, circle back for a second. You talked about how, when you describe what you do to, uh, sort of people look at you like you're crazy. So how do you reconcile this life with the expectations that society has on you. If you think whenever I was at a job, one of the questions that I hated was, where do you want to be in five years? And before I knew about fire, I saw I was a programmer and 
And in my head, I was always thinking like, I just want to continue doing this. I never want to manage people. I never want to do anything else. I just like to write code. But that was not the answer that they wanted to hear. So I'd always make up some crap. Oh, I want to be a software architect or some stuff like this. But And now it's even worse is the wrong word. But how, how do you tell your boss? Like, well, I, I certainly don't want to be working here. I'm going to be on a beach on the Mexican Riviera or something like that. Or and you answered this a little bit at parties, steering the conversation away from the identity, the work identity into other better questions. But yeah, how do you reconcile uh, the two different lives, the expectations of society and perhaps work with this life? Yeah, so I tend, I think now to not care if other people don't understand. Um, I think, and realize that if I can talk to them honestly about what I'm doing, they may not understand it right now, but in the future, it may, in when they're in the sort of right moment, they may think back to this conversation and be inspired and realize that they can could live their life in a different way if they decided they wanted to. Um, and so... I think that's what I try to remember when I am in conversations with people who it feels like they just don't get me. Um, and then I also make sure to surround myself and build communities of people who do get me and who do like validate my choices and help push me further um, so that I, I have, you know, the, the people who, I can rely on um, in in those regards. So it sounds like you're a proponent of coast firing. And again, that's accumulating money, uh, enough money that the money eventually will arrive at a point where you're completely financially independent, but you might need to work for a little bit longer to uh, meet your basic needs. Is that what you would advocate for most people? Do you think that's the healthiest way to go about fire? I think it's different for different people. Um, so I think that Coast Fi is one important milestone along the way to financial independence. I think that people at that point have three options, right? Their first option is they can continue to save aggressively, but now they know that every dollar is contributing toward early retirement and not just regular retirement, right? The second option is they can completely scale back and only cover their actual costs until 65, which if someone has lower costs, like could give them a ton of freedom now. And then the third option is similar to what we did is to say, okay, we, we've reached this point and we're using this feeling of freedom to start making changes. Um, whereas in reality, I think people need to choose what is right for them in any given situation. So for example, for me, I know that it's slightly different now that I'm self-employed, but I know that there's tons of statistics around people over the age of 50 or 55 being pushed out of their work before they're ready, um, before they're ready to retire. Um, and so for me, I always thought I want to be coast five, but I want to be coast five for a retirement at 55 or a retirement at, at 50 in case that is a thing that does happen to me. Right. And so, yeah, I think each person can decide based on their life circumstances and the things that they are, are concerned about what is the right approach for them. And you said you're self-employed now. Can you talk about the mm -hmm. shift um, from corporate life to working for yourself? Any particular struggles or anything that drove you in that direction? Sure. So I so I talked a little bit earlier about how I worked started working part time. So when when I went back to work in 2019, um, I started working part time. And then after about a year or year and a half of that, I decided like okay, my mental health is actually in a good place. I have a lot of energy. I don't want to increase my hours at work, right? Like HR for me at that point was just like, this is a job. It's a way to make money. 
And I want to minimize the amount of brain space that I use for it. Um, And so decided to spend some of my extra time starting my own business that hopefully I would be able to transition into or use it as a way to semi-retire in a few years. Um, And so after, so I started, so I started as a side hustle um, on the side of my, my part-time job. Um, And I started doing coaching and courses related to career discovery and lifestyle design. Um, So group programs and courses. Um, And then about nine months later, I was at a place where it had grown enough that I was able to quit my part-time job um, because it had almost replaced my, my income from that. Um, And so, yeah. Awesome. And then I I like how, you know, you had the skills from the HR stuff so that it's a perfect translation to work for yourself. And then I do online courses as well. And they're, they're great. Um, You mentioned after like nine months, you had roughly uh, replacement income for the part-time stuff. Has it continued to grow over the last couple of years as well? It has. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, and actually, so when I left, in that like nine month period of time, it had replaced about two thirds, half to two thirds of the income and, and felt like I had a track record to see that it would continue to grow. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it, it has. Um, and so that's been exciting to see. So we're not yet to the point where we feel confident that my husband could quit his job and the business would be able to cover our full expenses. Sure. Um, but hoping to get there within the next couple of years. Pretty awesome. So you've been sort of in the, the fire community for a while. D- did you say like 2010 you were started, you started to get exposed to the ideas? Is that about right? So definitely part of like personal finance. Okay. Um, and definitely being exposed to the ideas in lieu of my husband, I would say in, it was 2017 when I actually like myself learned about fire and decided like this could be a possibility for me. Got it. Well, from that standpoint and then your previous knowledge, of course, how has the fire movement shifted and some of the ideas and popularity of different approaches um, changed over the years? Yeah. Um, and I would be curious to hear from both of you since you've been in the movement for longer as well. Um, but when I first learned about fire in 2017, it seemed like it was still all about early retirement, right? And it seemed like it was all about depriving yourself so you can get to this paradise, right, as quickly as possible, and then everything will be perfect. Um, And I know that's, you know, that's really broad strokes. um, But I feel like the stories I was reading in the media, people who had the most popular content at the time, tended to be people who were making really high incomes, were living on less than 20,000 a year, tons of tips and hacks around how to spend, you know, a lot less money, Um, you know, face punching Mm -hmm. from Mr. Money Mustache of people who like were driving cars instead of riding bikes. Um, And, and so, and it's interesting because when I thought that that's what fire meant, I wasn't, I actually wasn't for it. Um, It took me a good six months after learning about fire to realize that I could take a different approach and, and, you know, our philosophy from the very beginning has been, we want the journey to be as remarkable as the destination. Um, And we were inspired by people like J.D. Roth and by you, Carl, who had come before us and who were saying like, you can take a different approach to this. Um, and so, but I didn't see anyone actually doing it at the time. I know there were people who were taking that that different approach at the time, um, but I wanted I wanted to really spread that message and really learn 
from people about how they were designing lives that they loved and lives that they didn't want to retire from um, along the path to FI. And I do feel like I've seen that quite a bit more in the space over the last few years. It's possible that I'm, I see it more because I'm looking for it. Right. Um, right. But I definitely, I've, I, it definitely seems like the, the dialogue has shifted and that coast fi and slow fi and, you know, lifestyle design are things that people are talking about on a much more regular basis. Yeah. And Carl, I want to hear how you think it shifted, but I want to, mm-hmm. before I forget my point here, it's like the intersection of, you know, the four hour work week and fire. A lot of times the, mm-hmm the values are similar, but it's like entrepreneurs and side hustlers versus like frugality. And they butt heads, even though it's like, it's the same fucking thing. It's just, they want to argue about the details, but it's, it's really the same thing. And I ended up in a situation, uh, I, I have the courses and side hustles. So I came at it in that direction as well. And I'm like, I don't really think I need to like stop working, uh, mm-hmm. other than me. Yeah working too much because I enjoy what I'm doing and it's like to force myself to take time off and that sort of thing. Okay. Carl, how has it shifted? Cause you, you started following Mr. Money Mustache in what, like 2012 or something like that? Uh, yeah. Yes. 2012. That is correct. All right. So how's it changed? Yeah. So it's, this is a great topic. I saw an article today. I think it came up on my Twitter feed that I absolutely despise. It said something like meet the 32 year old guy who makes 500,000 a year from his rental properties and travels the world. And they show this dude on a beach somewhere. I'm like, ah, God, I hate these. And the reason I hate them is because most people are going to see that and say, like, fuck this. Yeah, fire is unattainable. And then they're going to have the opposite reaction. They're going to start hating it. And I, but, and then I think, and that's kind of how fire was when it started. It was a bunch of people just like me making a lot of money as computer programmers who could be very frugal and just eat crap and ride bikes everywhere. And a lot of people can't do that. Uh, so what I really, one of the main changes I've seen is it's much more diverse in so many different ways. Uh, if I read Mr. Money Mustache and I was making $40,000 a year and I was a single parent with two kids, I'm, I might be turned off by that. But now you see those voices represented in the space. So I think it's much better. It's not just a bunch of white dudes wearing flannel with beards who write Rails code all day. It's <laughs> it's much better. And it's much more accessible to everyone. So that's one thing. And I think, Jessica, what we've talked about here is a healthier transition to it's not just about uh, what Pete did and what I did. Let's accumulate a bunch of money and then just uh, do whatever happens after that and never work again. It's I, I really liked what you said. I wrote this down and I, I'm going to repeat it because it, it bears repeating. It should be repeated. The journey should be as remarkable as, as the destination. Yeah, it's, it's toxic to dismiss certain days of your life just to get to a point that you think will be better. You should be enjoying every single day and enjoying every moment, even though it might not be the best thing. You might not be living that way. If you had your $10 million right now, you should find ways to find joy and happiness and beauty. And every single day, it's a much better way to live, even if it postpones that big number. And I, I think you should err on the side of postponing that big number. So um, yeah, those two things, it's much diverse, more diverse and we're focusing more on life because the whole point of fire is to enjoy life, right? So what's the point of postponing your, your enjoyment? It kind of goes against what the whole thing should be about in the first place. Yeah, Mitch. Doug, you said something a second ago that I identified with around working and people actually enjoying work, right? I it, One thing that I saw was the vast majority of people who actually did reach financial independence and retire early, ended up still working, right? In some capacity, right? Doing something that they loved doing, but they were continuing to work, whether it be they were writing books or they were, uh, I'm trying to think of like the other things that people were doing, but some people would quit or they'd go back to work and they'd say like, and this is, and now I get to choose, right? That I, to do a job that I actually want, And the thing that I thought about was 
well, wouldn't it be a shame for me if I were to reach fire, realize that I still wanted to work and then just like oversaved, right? Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. spent, spent 10 years being miserable in, you know, a toxic work environment when I could generate income doing the stuff that people, that, that would give me the same joy as the work that people were doing after they reached fire. I could just do that earlier. Um, and then there was a lot less urgency to reach fire because if I could find those things that I loved, generate income doing those things, why not do that now as opposed to 10 years from now? Yeah. But- well said and it, it makes so much sense like in hindsight but and and carl like i mean you've pointed it out many times you're like i shouldn't have done like the sprint 1500 days um just because it was a little miserable and then you were like oh i could have done it a little bit different and actually i'm i'm curious in hindsight what could you have done differently to like pump the brakes and not do the big sprint. Have you thought about that? Yeah. So at the very end of my career for the last six months, I was part-time and I never thought they would entertain that. And when I asked her like, yeah, sure. You can go part-time. I was a contractor. So it's a little bit easier. I paid for my own health care. Uh, so I would have done that much earlier. And I, and I think Jessica, I think we're in prime time for these negotiations with our employer too, because people are in demand. There are not enough humans to find your job. So I think, and I'd like to hear what you have to say about this, but my quick thought is if you love your job, but you might want a little bit more vacation time or a little bit more sabbatical or time off or some other circumstance that could make your life a little bit better. Like now, if you're a good employee, now is the time to ask them for it. Hell, maybe even if you're a shitty one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyone can ask now. They want a hot hot body in the seat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I've I've definitely seen a lot of that over the last couple of years and people realizing that they have more power in the situation um, with their employer. So, So I've seen people negotiating full-time remote work so that they can travel and work from anywhere. I have one client whose goal is to be a digital nomad, but still have a traditional W-2 job that's just a fully remote job, Mm -hmm. Um, right? I have a client who took last summer completely off and negotiated that with his employer because he wanted to be home for the summer because his wife works in a school and the kids were, were out of school for the summer. And so he negotiated doing that. Um, and there's a lot of people who have negotiated sabbaticals, um, right, to, to take that time off, as well as reducing their hours. Um, I think from, from my personal experience working in HR, right, I have seen that it is so much easier to let someone who would leave otherwise take three months off than to try to hire a replacement, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And, and sure, not every company or organizational culture is amenable to that. But if I were in that situation in, in the decision maker seat, right, I would be saying, three months is like a maternity leave. Like three months is nothing. It's going to take that long to hire and it's going to take much longer to train someone and get them up to speed. So if you can retain this employee by giving them three months off, do it. Um, right. That would be, that would be my advice every day. Um, right. In, in that situation. And then for a reduction in hours, one thing that I'll say is I think, Many people are just as productive if they work 24 hours a week or 32 hours a week as opposed to 40 um, because full-time workers waste a lot of time during the day, right? It's like you work full-time, so you, you, you know, there's this mindset around like, oh, well, I can, you know, do whatever during my day and like how much productive work do we actually do? 
Mm-hmm. Um, right. And so for me, when I worked 24 hours a week, I was really focused and really intentional about doing the most important things first. And like when I was working, I was working. Right. I, I wanted to make sure that I got as much done as I could in the amount of time I wasn't burned out. Right. From from working such a huge amount of hours that I had the energy to to do that. Right. I, I think many people 40 hours of dedicated time is just too much for our brains to handle. Um, And, you know, my boss, when I was working part-time was like, you accomplish more in three days a week than I've ever had an HR person do in 40. (laughs) Right. And I think that there's so many jobs that are like that, right. You talk to people who they're like, oh yeah, I could totally do my job in 25, 30 hours a week if it was all focused time. Or you have the people now who are overemployed, right? And so the people who are working two remote full-time jobs that don't actually require full-time hours, um, right? Like all of these things are, are, are possible, but it does require some boundary setting, you know, being really focused. But I definitely think more people could negotiate to to work less if they wanted to. And I was going to bring up the overemployed thing. I didn't know it had a name, but you know, I'm not in the market to work these days, but if I was, and if I was younger, I would definitely get like two to three jobs that are remote and just, you know, bank the money. I'm not recommending anyone specifically do that, but if you are, we definitely mm-hmm. want to hear from you. That sounds like an interesting story. So do you know people mm-hmm. personally that have been doing this? I, so I do. I actually have one client who was overemployed for a period of time. So yeah. she she had a fully remote job that wasn't super like yeah. stressful, and then she had and then she found a new job and just kept both simultaneously simultaneously for a period of time. Um, and it worked. Eventually, she ended up leaving the 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 other job. But there's times where she says, like, I wish that I had the two. Um, yeah. Because it wasn't it right. It wasn't overly challenging when you're working in a job that isn't actually that hard um, and can provide you with, you know, a, a much higher income, sort of doubling your income in many cases. Um, and so I think that is a thing that could work for many people. Um, I think it, in some ways it's like kind of the antithesis of slow fi. Right. However, I'm not advocating, right, for people to do two full-time jobs where they have to actually work 80 hours a week, right? Like I think people can make the choices about the situations that, that work for them and to get the most out of the hours that they are working. Um, and if that's being overemployed for a period of time, that's fantastic. Okay. So, uh, so I have a comment. This just came into my head. I'm going to declare right now that I think the 40 hour work week is stupid and outdated for most people. And the reason I'm going to say this is like in the old days, a hundred years ago, most of our jobs were manual labor. We worked on a farm and that required us driving around a tractor and, and the amount of work. The amount of time we put into the job directly correlated to our output. So if we're working on a factory, we're putting widget A on the conveyor belt and we're doing 100 of those an hour times eight hours, we're doing 800. But now the nature of work is changing. Those jobs, even a farmer, tractors drive themselves now. I have farmers in my family and the tractors go out there, they talk to the satellite and they go within like six inches of where they're supposed to be and the tractor does the work. So what I'm getting at here is work is changing. Even if you're a code monkey, if you're writing code, it's creative work. And you can't write intensive code for 40 hours a week. These jobs that require a lot of thought, you can't sit there and be on it for that amount of time. You you have spurts where you might go, uh, like, I don't know, my energy levels happen to be in the morning. So I could get up and write code intense for like 8 to 11. And then you kind of crash and you need time off. So I think we can do our jobs in less time, and I don't think that 40 hours is optimal anymore. I don't think we do an effective job. I think we could do what we did before, and it might even be better to have that brain downtime where we go out and take a walk for an hour and let our brain relax. And a lot of times, I know that spurs creativity. So yeah, I think the 40-hour work week should be dead for a lot of people. Mm Mm-hmm. Agree. 
So one thing you mentioned was lifestyle design, and you have a framework that you use. So can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Um, So I've used a framework as I've like focused on figuring out what I really want my life to look like. And then it's a similar framework that I use um, when I'm working with clients. Um, So a big part of it is, so it's a cycle, right? So it's a continuous process. It's not that you're going from stage A to B to C and you'll, you know, sort of continue down the path. It's you're always sort of revisiting these things. The first step is to identify what you really want, right? And this involves sort of deeply knowing yourself. I think of this as the elements of your ideal life. So it's your what, your why, and your how. Um, And your what is, what are the things that I love to do? Like, what am I passionate about, right? Your why is your core motivations um, and your core values. And then the how in some ways is most important, right? It's how you carry out your what and why in a way that feels really good, right? That feels energizing and engaging and takes into account your, you know, personality characteristics and quirks and limitations and strengths and, you know, all of those things to make life actually feel like it's working for you. Right. So, so sort of going from there then, right. You can take all of those things to then dream, right. And come up with ideas of how can I actually carry this stuff out? Um, You know, doing the things that I love, right for the reasons that, you know, make me come to life and in a way that feels really good. Um, And then when we come up with ideas, then we start to experiment with them and explore them, right? And so we could say, okay, you know, when I first went through this lifestyle design process, one of the ideas that came up for me was maybe I want to run retreats, Like, I love traveling. I could travel, slow travel to like different areas around the world. And then like the last week of my trip, I could like host a retreat in this place on, you know, a topic of of interest and take people to all the cool places, right, that I've been to as I slow traveled and explored this location. So then the idea, then I take that and say, okay, how can I experiment with that to see if it's something that I actually want to do, um, right? Do I actually enjoy it? Is it viable? Um, it, you know, and, and all of that. And so then you shrink it down, right? And say, okay, how can I answer some of these questions in an afternoon or in a couple of weeks or something, right? So you're taking small steps that are building up, right? And so I decided to plan some local meetups for my local choose FI and women's personal finance groups, right? And then I realized, okay, I did actually enjoy that. That was fun. People actually came to it, right? And so then that was a thing that enabled me to then take that next step to say, okay, like maybe I can't yet, like I don't feel like I could yet get people to like come travel with me around the world, but you know, I could start a virtual online group coaching program, right? And so then I did that, um, right? And then have sort of expanded from there. And everything is like, to me, approached as an experiment, right? I learned from it. And which then brings it back into that cycle where the things that I learn inform what I want, which then enable me to actually dream bigger to say, okay, that worked. So what's possible now? Um, And then I continue to do that experimentation. And so that process continues. Um, And it's interesting. So it's about three years later from when I articulated, like, maybe I want to do retreats and travel all around the world and, and, you know, all of those things. And over that time, I've experimented and put so many of the building blocks in place that would enable that to be possible. Um, So for example, we experimented with renting a camper van, decided to buy and build our own camper van, um, which will be done sometime within the next couple of weeks. Um, I started doing meetups, coaching program, right? I do a lot of workshops and sort of live events for for people in the the fine years and slow fi 
community. And I'm starting to see like, yeah, maybe 2023 is the year to actually like bring people, bring people together to a location to do a retreat. I've been to a bunch of awesome retreats now, spoken at some of them, right? And so definitely, right, all of that experimentation is helping me build my confidence to dream bigger and make those things a reality. So that's the the process. So starting with what do you really want and what's, what's going and how can you do it in a way that feels really exciting and good? right? Dreaming big, um, experimenting, right? To build your confidence and to learn about what you learn about each of those things and then allowing that process to continue. Well, super cool. I want to go to one of these retreats. I think you can help a lot of people, (laughs) maybe beginner five people, but us OGs could perhaps help some of those people and show them a healthier way to go about it. So you're almost done with a camper van build. What was the plan when you guys hit the road? Yeah. So we are planning to start this year taking shorter trips. So continuing to keep our home base um, in in Boston. Um, But we have a number of weekend trip plans. We have a three-week Maritime Canada trip that we're planning to go on this summer. Um, And... Also considering since my husband is still working full-time in a traditional job that is fairly flexible, like do we want to try traveling and working out of the van for a week here, a week there? So that's something that we're going to be experimenting with. Um, And then it's very likely, fingers crossed, that he could, um, instead of me telling him he needs to quit next year because I'm ready to hit the road, um, that he could take a three-month sabbatical next year. And so if we do that, then I can bear with him working <laughs> full-time for another year, which he, he likes his job. Um, and so he's not actually ready to go yet. Um, and so that that the only pressure that's pushing him is actually from me because I'm ready for us to, to hit the road and, you know, have more of this lifestyle. Um, that we want, but I expect that we will, that we will be there and taking, you know, long one to six month trips sometime within the next couple of years um, from our home base here in Boston. Ooh, that's awesome. And just to plant one seed, you talked about doing retreats. We host things like this at our co-working space all the time. We had a great one with Ellen and Katie Donigan from the Rebel Entrepreneur. When, when was that? Last? It was like almost last summer. It was like August or something last Yeah, year. last summer. So we'd love to host the Fineers, uh, um, what some people call the Mecca of Fire. Like, uh, <laughs> come, come out to Colorado. Sounds awesome. Yeah. All right. Well, as we're wrapping up here, what does a perfect day look like for you? So perfect day for me is one where I get to wake up without an alarm clock and then I get to have a slow morning. So... I get to, you know, get out of bed and have breakfast at the pace that I want to. Um, On a sort of regular, typical day, I want to do energizing and engaging work for a couple of hours. Um, And on other days, I don't, right? And, and, And that's okay. And I want to be exploring the world, whether it be in another place or just my own neighborhood. I want to be creative, Every day I want to focus on my health um, and my well-being um, and cultivating strong relationships. And if I'm doing that, it's a great day. Very good. It'll be exciting to see, you know, how all those pieces come together, like when you're in the van for a few weeks and stuff like that. Um, Yeah, just exciting to figure out how that works and get each one of those pieces in when you're like in a new environment and you don't know where to get mm-hmm. breakfast exactly. And you gotta you gotta mm-hmm. figure it out as part of the adventure, you know. So. <laughs> yeah. Anything else, Carl? No. Where can people find you, Jessica? Yeah, I can be found on my website, which is thefineers.com. Um, and then I'm on Twitter and Instagram at the Fineers. 
Um, and then I have a private Facebook group for people who are interested in slow-fi and lifestyle design and this approach to financial independence. Um, it's called Slow-Fi Enthusiasts. And you can find that at thefineers.com slash FB for Facebook. Cool. We'll link up for all that stuff. And this has been great, Jessica. It was good to meet you. And thanks a lot for spending some time with us. Thanks for having me. Thank it was you. great to hang out. Thanks for listening to the show. That was the Mile High Five podcast, and I'm Doug Cunnington, the Balder host, and Carl Jensen is the cool, sexy one. If you dig the show, please do three things for us. Number one, tell a friend, a family member, an enemy about the show. We really don't care who you tell. Maybe forward them a specific show that you know that they will like. It's the single most helpful thing that you can do to spread the word. It's like giving us a virtual high five and uh, actually we don't give high fives in, in person. So the virtual kind's pretty good. And more importantly, your friend or family member or even your enemy will appreciate the fact that you were thinking of them. Number two, make sure you're following or subscribed on your podcast app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, YouTube, whatever you're using. And that way you won't miss a show. And number three, please leave us a rating and review. We read them on the show occasionally, and you might hear yours out there on an upcoming episode. Quick disclaimer, this show is not financial or legal advice. I'd actually be surprised if it sounded like it. It's really just for entertainment, and that's at least what we're hoping for. But seriously, get advice from professionals. Carl and I are just two guys with microphones that sit in my basement and talk. So we'll catch y'all next week.